The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. It's a Thursday here in Cowboys Nation, and you know what that means. It's time to get riled up on the Cowboys with my man, Tom Ryle, and your boy, Roy White, at RW3 on Twitter. You can find him at TomRyleBTB, and you can, of course, follow all the great work at Blogging the Boys, who powers this podcast, and we are also powered by our friends at SB Nation, talking about the Cowboys and what a stinker we got just a few days ago, Tom. Uh out of left field, no one really anticipated this coming, myself included in that department. I was horribly wrong in the way that I saw this game playing out against the Broncos. I thought the Cowboys had the edge in nearly every capacity, and yet that is why they play the games, Tom, because that was the type of game that you absolutely ball up and throw into the trash. The Cowboys have done that, but we now have kind of a – a long way to go and some things to discuss as to what needs to improve going into a game that again, they will be favored in and should win based on paper alone. Yeah, I was, as, as I was mentioning to you while we were kind of getting prepped, maybe all the bad luck for this season wound up on one stinking weekend. Um, You know, that should be the good hope because when you, if you try to figure out what didn't go wrong, well, all you can really come up with is maybe Micah Parsons and Leighton Vanderish, because Parsons was just a monster out there. And Vanderish had a very good game, at least as far as getting tackles and helping get some stops. Unfortunately, there were other problems that kind of negated some good linebacker play. So, you know, there's a whole lot going on, but you know, of course, first we do have a little bit of news from yesterday to cover. Absolutely. The Cowboys introduce a new kicker or at least an old kicker whose name we'd heard before. I'll let you say his name, Tom, since I think you've got it mastered. Yeah. According to Michael Gelkin of the Dallas uh, morning news, it's Liram Hyrulahu. Hyrulahu. Hyralahu is how you're going to say that. Hyralahu, yeah. It's it's like I still stumble on it. I've been practicing it all day, and still Hyralahu comes out. A li- it doesn't roll off the tongue quite yet. Yeah. Uh, I think that was a, si- a signing that made most of Cowboys Nation go, 
Well, at least it isn't Brett Maher. <laughs> yeah. You know, because they had him in for the workout too. And apparently, uh, Howard Law, who made all 10 of his kicks, and interestingly enough, the uh, the Cowboys released a video of him making a 70-yarder with the wind and a 55-yarder into the wind, which were interesting because they were from directly behind the ball. And it showed how that football can move side to side on its trajectory. But I think that was done just to kind of make uh, Cowboys Nation feel better about this. And, of course, as you mentioned, he'd been around the team during training camp. And uh, they, uh, you know, looked at him one other time while Greg Zerlein was having some trouble. I was a little surprised they didn't just sign him to the practice squad, which I hope they do after this if uh, if Zerlein is indeed back. But we're not sure what's going to happen with Zerlein because it's a COVID uh, question. And, you know, we'll see about that. But it does look likely that uh, – we will be dealing with a new kicker and here's hoping that it's kind of immaterial as in the Cowboys get a two, three score lead and we don't have to worry about a last minute field goal to pull us out of the fire. Yeah, that would be nice, but the kicking position has been somewhat material for the Cowboys this season. Uh, Game one in particular, it turned out to be material and for Greg Zerline's purposes. And I guess for Harulahus as well, the bar is not high. Greg Zerline is 14 for 18 on the season for a 78% field goal percentage. And he's Mm -hmm. converted just 21 of 23 extra points. Now I know the extra point isn't the gimme that it was when it was seven yards or 12 yards, as opposed to now being, you know, 35 minimum. But with that being said, he's not really been excellent in either category. So Hyrulahu just really has to go out there and put his pants on one leg at a time and do a serviceable job for us Mm -hmm. to, you know, not feel too anxious about him taking over for Greg Zerline. At least I don't, right? Uh, From an anxiety Mm -hmm. standpoint, that is the least of my concerns heading into the game against the Falcons. And I guess that is where we could kind of start this thing, Tom, because that is primarily what this podcast will be about today. What the Cowboys need to fix and how they can fix it. And with that, Tom has put together a list of the things he would like to see them do when they take on the Falcons this Sunday at noon at Cowboy Stadium. Will that be a home game, Tom? I certainly hope so. Um, you know, the Broncos fans travel well, and they came close to just taking that stadium over. Well, that always stands out, by the way. Like, you get, yeah. you get more range – when you wear small yeah. patches of orange, right? It looks like there's a lot more than it yeah. would be if that color were dark. Yeah, but I, we can kind of talk about that because I actually kind of touch on some of the issues with that. The last point that we get to all, all of them. But the main thing, uh, the big thing, the glaring one that stands out is we need Dak Prescott to get back to being the Dak Prescott that was playing so very well in the first seven games of the season. He was horrible. That's the only way to put it. He had some help that we'll also talk about, but he was missing throws. He was making bad reads. Um, You know, he was dealing with a lot of pressure, yet another issue that we'll have to get to, but he just, he just was off. And, and you have to wonder if there was a combination of things. 
we know he was coming back from the calf injury. He had only practiced one week prior, the, the week prior to this game while he was rehabbing the, or resting his calf. And he definitely seemed to have a ton of rust on him. And then, you know, there was the fact that, uh, sadly enough, you know, he lost his, uh, his grandmother and also had to go through the anniversary of his, uh, his, his uh, mother's death during the time when he was recovering. So it may have taken a while to get his head around, around everything. And I, I don't know what went into it. But it's got to be fixed. And, you know, that kind of brings us to something that was very controversial at the time. The coaching staff elected to keep Dak in the game all the way, even when it was a 30-point deficit. There was no chance the Cowboys were going to pull it out in under seven minutes left in regulation. Okay. And they could you see could you see McCarthy's reasoning, though, that he gave? And the reasoning he gave was we needed the work. We didn't look sharp. We didn't look crisp. And where else are you going to get game type situations than in an actual mm-hmm. football game? Um, that, that's ex- yeah, that's exactly where I was going. Dak started making good throws in that last those last two drives that did wind up in touchdowns, meaningless touchdowns, but he still was connecting with his receivers. He converted some third downs, which the Cowboys prior to that, they'd only converted one of 13 third downs and zero for four on fourth downs. Finally, they were sustaining drives. It was a 75 yard and a 65 yard uh, drives that they went to get those touchdowns. Um, that, I think, is exactly what McCarthy was looking for. Maybe Dak got things back under control, got himself settled down, and now he can go through a normal week of practice and come back to being the player he wants to be. We certainly have to hope that because if he has another game of struggles like that, all of a sudden we're not just – looking at at not getting a very good seating in the playoffs we have to worry about whether we can hold off the rest of the nfc east bad as they are because it only takes one team to get hot and maybe that's the new york giants right now um so yeah i mean it's important to put that into perspective right i um i understand it and your statement is correct that if Dak prescott continued to perform this poorly then they would have issues in regards to their ability to, you know, sew up the division and certainly their ability to compete for a number one seed in the NFC would be over. However, Dak Prescott in that game against the Broncos put on as bad of a performance as we've seen, not this season, not just the past two seasons, probably in the, in his entire career. And when you look at, you know, one of the ESPN ratings, right? QBR, which tries to, relate kind of a quarterback's overall performance within the game, within the the clutch positions of the game and, and the positions that matter, right. That determine the outcomes of the game. This was a 24.1 point performance from Dak Prescott. You have to go back to December 16th of 2018 
in a 23 to nothing shutout loss against the Indianapolis Colts to find a game in which Dak Prescott played as poorly as his rating suggested against the Denver Broncos. So while I agree with you, if we see any more of these, we're in trouble. The truth is we hadn't seen one of these from Dak Prescott in basically his last 30 football games. So, and, and, and yeah, I don't maybe. anticipate we'll see one this weekend against a defense that, frankly, is not even close to the league average as the Denver Broncos, maybe slightly above. Yeah. Um, and it, it may, part of it is just being a little bit shell-shocked from what happened, I admit. I, mm-hmm. I feel skittish, jumpy, when I probably shouldn't be because just like Mike McCarthy – Dak Prescott has a pretty good record of bouncing back after a bad performance. Uh, you know, we discussed on the uh, the weekly live stream about uh, the 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 way that McCarthy has come back and frequently come back with two score or better wins after his team gets embarrassed. Uh, so that's one of the reasons to hope and. Everything we've seen about Dak's career says that he is resilient, he is strong, he will buckle down and get it done. Now let's just hope we see that happen because I don't I would like to see us get back, see the Cowboys get back on the winning track and start building up another winning streak. Because yeah, the, the NFC East is very competitive and they could stay in the thick of that, that playoff seeding uh, race if they just get things on track and start piling a few more wins up. Cause it's going to get a little bit tougher pretty soon. You know, the, 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 the chiefs and the Raiders are coming down the pike and the chiefs are kind of fluky and quirky right now. Uh, they're, they've had a couple of wins, but they've been kind of, in shaky circumstances. Uh, yeah, they don't look good. Know, they beat a they, Jordan they Love, awful-looking Jordan Love, Green Bay Packers-led football team by just six points. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not terribly scared of the Chiefs, and I'm not terribly scared of the Raiders either, but I do agree that we're looking inward, right? We're looking at what the Cowboys are going to produce that's going to give us – the level of confidence we're going to feel against those teams, right? If they're playing well and, and up to the capability that they've shown this season, then we would feel good against those teams, even if those teams were looking at their primes, right? But I yeah. understand the shell shock. Um, for me, that's when you that's when you double down, right? Um, yeah. When you, you bet red and it goes black, well, you put double now on red again. Because at some point, the red's going to hit. And when it does, you're right back to even at least. And then you can start betting like a regular son of a bitch again. Um, <laughs> the, the next person you we, I kind of wanted to mention, because you mentioned you know Dak in his history of bounce-back games. Well, one individual in particular is going to be looked at to have a bounce-back performance. He won't be playing on the field, but he is a major storyline heading into this Falcons game because he is the former head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, uh, Dan Quinn has has his work cut out for him because the big the big question that comes up is were all those turnovers in the first six games hiding some weaknesses? I think they were to a certain degree, but this was far worse than just a few flaws. The defense couldn't stop anything for most of the game. Outside of the opening uh, the, the first possession of the Atlanta Falcons of the whole game, 
and the opening sequence uh, of the, the, the second half, they really didn't have an answer. And it was kind of embarrassing the way they didn't have an answer, particularly in the running game. Um, how many missed tackle, uh, how tackles were they? The, according to the coaching staff, they had 16 broken tackles, not just missed tackles, but where they actually had their hands on the ball carrier and they got free. And that's six more than they'd had in any previous game this year. And that was a lot of yards that they picked up. Again, the running game was where it was most evidence. Uh, you know, the, uh, the, I think it's Javante Williams, their running back yeah. just had a backbreaker on a 30 yarder where they, he was surrounded by Cowboys. They had him and uh, I can't remember who it was, but somebody went like they were going to throw him to the ground and he just, didn't go down and got 20 more yards. It, it was ridiculous. Yeah, I read that uh, Javante Williams is actually tied for the league lead in broken tackles, and that like a quarter of those came against the Cowboys. Yeah, it's, it was sad. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, as, as a lot of people have pointed out, including Bob Stern, whose article on the, uh, the defense was, was, as always, very informative, these players are going for the strip rather than the tackle. They've got their priorities wrong and that needs to change. You know, they've got to quit depending on getting turnovers because there's always an element of chance. Even if you get a strip, that doesn't mean you're going to always get the ball. Sometimes a uh, an offensive player is right there to pounce on it and you've gained absolutely nothing from the strip. So, what you have to what you have to focus on first is get the ball carrier to the ground. Stop the play. Turnovers will happen along the way because, as I said, there's a random element to them. It's the same thing in in, in pass coverage to a certain extent. First, you have to make sure you've got a got a shot at breaking up the pass. Second, you've got to be sure that if it's caught, you tackle the guy, and then third you look at whether, okay, I can actually get my hands on the ball and intercept it. And once again, some people, <clears throat> Trayvon Dix, <clears throat> may be focused a little bit too much on trying to get a turnover and a big play rather than being fundamentally sound because Diggs was maybe the biggest disappointment on the defense, although he was hardly alone. There was a real problem with the defensive end setting the edge and, uh, you know, the Broncos were just getting outside of the tackle and, and, and feasting too many times. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more 
and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And Diggs' performance was one of several surprising performances that the Cowboys put up. Um, You know, defensively, I don't blame them for taking the approach that they did, right? I mean, it's worked for them up to this point. And I think if we're being honest with ourselves, we understand that this defense is not a great defense. It, Mm -hmm. It is not a defense that's going to be capable of preventing these types of drives. What they have done and what they had done prior to that game, though, is force a considerable amount of turnovers. And in the spots that they forced them in, either deep in their opponent's end or deep in their own end, right, where the turnover then took points, took automatic points off the board. What was going to be three, what might have been six, now all of a sudden turned into nothing. That has buoyed the way that they have appeared, right? Um, In addition to that, the huge leads that the offense has put up in several of these games – has allowed them to kind of take that approach even more so. But when they get into a game where it's tight, right, the New England Patriots game, for example, they gave up 29 in that game to a fairly pedestrian offense. They gave up 30 to a fairly pedestrian Denver Broncos defense. If they don't get turnovers, in my opinion, you kind of have to be of the expectation that they might give up 20 to 28 to 30, right? If they don't get turnovers, it's just – can they get those turnovers to make the difference? And here's hoping that against Atlanta, Dan Quinn, with some special knowledge of having seen Matt Ryan in practice for several seasons in a row, right? Seeing him up close, his tendencies. I got to hope that he has something special planned for him. And I'm really wanting to see whether or not he will allow Micah Parsons and Kyle Pitts to renew their high school rivalry. They -hmm. played against each other in Pennsylvania. Pitts and his high school team actually won the state 5A title over Micah Parsons and his team five years ago. So I'm sure Parsons still has that on his mind. And it would yeah, he be said fun. as much. Yeah, it'd be fun to see another round between those two yeah. and to see how Dan Quinn is going to you know use Micah Parsons in that game because he will be a major factor and a major weapon for them. Yeah, yeah. Uh- yeah, Maka did say that that game still hurt to this day. So, you know, I think he's going to be out there trying to do something. And one thing that should be stated, uh, that the defense had an additional thing to overcome. They were on the field for over 41 minutes of playing time. That's just ludicrous. When you're spending twice as much time on the field as the opposing defense, you're going to be exhausted and you know, that's, you know, they still should have done more, especially earlier when they were fresher. But that wears a team down. It does. You have to believe that. And, you know, there were some, you know, there were certainly some emotional impacts from, you know, the the, the failed punt block uh, and, and the fact that they couldn't convert after they got the, the brilliant three and out uh, at the start of the game. Um, yeah, they, they still have to find a way to start being more consistent. And I think playing some more fundamentally sound football is going to be a real focus this week for, for the staff. 
Oh, it'd be great to see after what we saw, you know, a week ago, the fundamentals will be fully on display and hopefully Quinn will be hammering those home for his units uh, on the offensive side. You know, we do, and we haven't mentioned it yet, but Dak Prescott should be a little bit more comfortable with the return of Michael Gallup, another weapon on the outside who's expected mm-hmm. to return this week, but who's not returning Tyron Smith. And we saw what it looked like in a world without Tyron and this Atlanta Falcons game will bring back very bad memories for Cowboys fans who remember four years ago when a guy by the name of Adrian Claiborne racked up more than 12% of his career total in sacks. He had just 40 sacks for his career. Six of them came on this day four years ago against the Atlanta Falcons when he got to go up against a backup left tackle by the name of Chaz Green. And then once Chaz Green got pulled, he got to go up against a secondary backup tackle by the name of Byron Bell. And he abused both of them. Yeah. And let me say right now, um, I understand that a lot of people were very disappointed in how Terrence Steele uh, played. But I will tell you right now, he is probably a better uh, left tackle than Chaz Green and Byron Bell rolled into one big package. A hundred (laughs) percent. I'm so glad you said it because I was definitely ready to jump on it if you did not. Uh, This is not the same unit of four years ago. Terrence Steele, as much as he struggled last week, and he did struggle, because one could argue he was playing a little bit out of position, but they didn't want to move Lyell further out of position. He struggled. There's no question about it. He is not as bad as Chaz Green was because Chaz Green was atrocious. Yeah, he was one of the failed experiments from the Garrett era. And I really really think that just the fact that it will be his second game at left tackle is going to lead to some improvement in Terrence Steele. I'm hoping the coaching staff is going to look to making sure that he's got a tight end out there. I would even go so far as to say that maybe if they are definitely going to pass, uh, go with an empty set, but maybe put Connor McGovern out there in that tight end slot and let's see somebody try to get by him and Terrence Steele. Hey, put him in the Uh, backfield, extra protection. I'm surprised that uh, I'm actually surprised that, that aspect of the Hulk formation isn't utilized more from just a protection standpoint, you know, you could almost eliminate the value of a full, you know, the value of a fullback. Now I know there's still that like pass catching threat that maybe McGovern doesn't provide until he actually catches one, but I still think it would be a viable option if you just want a little Mm. bit of extra protection there, but you know, next to Dak Prescott. Yeah, I, I think they need to be looking for something. They've got to get some help for Terrence Steele unless he really turns out to show that he's he's got his his arms around the position. And he may be okay after after a series or two that they don't have to worry about getting the help out there, but put it out there when they when you need it. And Lyle Collins didn't have a great game back in at right tackle, but the same thing applies. He's now got a, a game he's just done. Uh, you know, his second game in two seasons, which is staggering to think about. 
This is the start of the 2020 season. This is only the second game he's been on the field the whole time. And uh, so hopefully he will uh, step it up a little bit as he gets more, more of the rust knocked off of himself. So yeah, they have to, they have to make it work because I don't, despite everybody wanting to shuffle everything around and come up with all kinds of creative solutions, I think this is the only logical lineup they can come up with because you can't just plug offensive linemen in in a random position and expect, expect them to play well. Each position has very specific things about how you play it, certain techniques, and not everyone can switch back and forth. There are a few rare players who can comfortably switch from left side to right side or from guard to tackle or vice versa, but they are rare. And I don't think the Cowboys have a whole lot of them. Hmm. Terrence Steele has taken snaps before at left tackle, at least in preseason and practice because he's, they, they, I think they hope for him to maybe be the, the swing tackle for the rest of the year. If Tyron Smith can get back in. Uh, and in the meantime, I think he's going to be the starter at left tackle until Tyron is ready to go. And I agree with what you're saying there. I mean, I think this is the best option of not great options that they have. The fact that Inseki is really not become what they had hoped has thrown quite a large monkey wrench into this circum, you know, into this situation. You know, the addition in addition to that, right, the, the fact that really none of the offensive linemen that they've taken in this most recent draft have panned out to be anything just yet, right? Farniok hasn't really made any headway. Uh, we know Bell and, and his situation, or, or Ball rather, um, and his situation, and he's been injured this whole time, so he's not really going to be seeing anything in 2021. Um, that, that part, I guess, has been a little bit difficult because you know now that one loss, one Tyron or Zach or Lyell going down could mean some trouble for the unit going forward. So it'll be interesting to see how they address that. But again, you know, a nice opponent to be addressing that against when, you know, this is an, an opponent that gives up the eighth most rushing yards in the league. So, yeah, and, and it's interesting because the Broncos – gave up the eight fewest so far this year. So if if essentially they flipped the the script in that particular aspect. So, yeah, hopefully we're (laughs) going to see the running game get back on track because the Broncos announced beforehand that that's what they were going to do. And now they've got a chance to get that back on track, which in turn should take some pressure off of Dak having to do it all with his arm and it all should flow together and kind of supplement each other. And then hopefully they stay on the field longer. So the defenses are out there getting worn out and on and on. Well, it wasn't the running game that struggled though on Sunday, as we kind of mentioned, Dak Prescott struggles, Ezekiel Elliott dealing with calf and, you know, thigh issues and knee issues. And, and that was all very concerning, but the fact was that, when Malik Turner turns out to be the star of the game from an offensive standpoint because of a pair of touchdowns late in the game that turned out to be meaningless, when Dalton Schultz is your leading receiver with four catches for 54 yards, 
other fingers need to be pointed around the offense as well. And that is where I'm looking squarely at Amari Cooper and CD lamb saying, I need a little bit more from both of you. Yeah. Now you do have to admit that there were a couple of plays where CD was open and the ball just was overthrown for CD. Uh, he did what he, I mean, I think for CD, he did what he could. Um, you know, he was really only targeted on, on plays like that, where it was like the big shot on third down or a shot that, Hey, he was open and they just missed him on. So I don't disagree, I guess, only from the standpoint of, okay, well, if, if you're not connecting with CD through those methods, I know he can work with the ball after the catch. You guys have lined him up in the backfield and you always have the option of a wide receiver screen, which I don't think they utilize with CD enough. Um, yeah. You know, I know we're nitpicking here when we're talking about the plays we'd like to be called when Kellen Moore is calling so many creative you know, unique Mm -hmm. items, right? It feels unfair to criticize him for this one, especially after a bad offensive performance. But that is one one play that I would like to see them incorporate a little bit more only because CD's profile coming out of Oklahoma, and it has been the same in the NFL, is with the ball in his hands, he can do extraordinary things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're going to need him to, to step up with the assumption that Dak can get him the ball more more often in the game. But, you know, Amari Cooper, you know, that drop was just terrible. He might have had a touchdown if he caught that cleanly. And, and he stride. started and it in was that game. Right there. So he started that game so hot, you thought he was going to be yeah. fire. Yeah. And then uh uh, you know, Tony Pollard just dropped one that that he had room to operate. And it's it's just a little puzzling, but the Cowboys have a lot of star power. At least we think they do. And the stars outside of Dak need to step up and start getting their jobs done. And the other players who aren't quite as big in the star category just need to get their jobs done. And, and it, it, it all has to come together. Uh, you know, as, as I, as my pin tweet on Twitter says, it's 11 men on the field at a time, and no one player is going to win a game by himself. So it's going to take a, a team effort on both sides of the ball. They've got to, to really buckle down and get it right. Um, and, and then there's just a, it's just a weird thing, and I don't know exactly what it is or why it happens, but there is kind of a bit of a blah thing about the Cowboys when they're playing those noon kickoffs, uh, especially at AT&T Stadium, which actually ties into the Dallas Cowboys having one of the worst in-stadium fan bases in the league. They have the best road stadium fan base. That's the thing. Their road games are like home games, and their home games are borderline road games. Yeah, and and it's often been said that there's a certain kind of cocktail party um the people are too rich and sophisticated to actually get into the lowly business of it's Dallas, man. For your team. that's that's not a perception that is truth okay as yeah. someone who was in these stadiums in these arenas in in dallas right in the baseball stadium in the 
the double AC at AT&T Stadium? It is that because it costs money to get into these places a good amount. And when you start putting together the cost of four tickets plus concessions plus parking plus the amount of time that you have to commit to be in these places, you know, noon games, especially right. Dallas is a late arriving crowd to begin with. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't fit well for this area to have. And it's not to say that there aren't rabid Cowboys fans in the city of Dallas because they absolutely do exist. They just don't go to the games or get to go to the games as much because it is such a premium item that those tickets, quite frankly, get bought up by, by hobnobbers. Right. And this experience happens at every arena you go to Mavs games Mm. are like this. Stars games, maybe less so because it's a less popular sport and the the hype around them. But, you know, Mavs games are certainly like that. Ballpark at Arlington for the Rangers is certainly like that. And the Cowboys, most of all, is the ticket item where it's pay to be seen. You want to be it's it's like the, the forum in Los Angeles, right? where people go to Lakers games, not necessarily to because they care about the Lakers, but because it's the hot thing to do. The Cowboys stadium is a destination stadium in the NFL. And for that reason, it's always going to be this way. I don't ever see this changing. Yeah. Just go there and sit and enjoy your margarita that can be delivered to your seat for you now. Uh, they have that where you're, you don't have to go to the concession stand. They will bring it to you. I'm sure for a hefty upcharge, but, um, yeah, the Cowboys have to find a way to deal with this. And and the, the main way to do that is they have to make sure they take, if it is one of those heavy opponent crowds where a lot of fans for the other team have bought up the, the tickets because it's a once in a rare uh, once in a blue moon thing, like it was for the Broncos fans to come to AT and stadium, AT&T stadium and be there. Then they have to take those people out of the game fast. And so um, you can't do anything about the crowds because Jerry Jones is certainly not going to lower ticket prices just to get more of the blue collar fan in there who would hoop and holler and know that you make noise when the other team is trying to make a third down and shut up when your quarterback is trying to call out signals, which they, they don't get at all. Uh, yeah, it's, it's very weird given how football craves the whole state of Texas is. You think they would have known this from having gone to high school in, in Texas, but somehow it seems to escape them. Uh, so the, 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 the players can't, the players and the coaches can't control that. They have can only control what they do. And the key I think is they have to get out there and get a lead and, and see if they can, they can take control of things. And so it doesn't really matter that much. So, you know, it's, it's just a weird thing, but the, those were, those were kind of the five areas I came up with, which, they're kind of broad and, and do kind of encompass a lot of the other sub things that happened. Uh, did you have anything else that you saw that might need to be brought up? Well, I actually wanted to just ask because Mike McCarthy made a comment earlier this week that I chuckled about and that he chuckled about. Right. And that was in response to Vic Fangio who said that, you know, the league just hadn't played the Cowboys right yet. And Mike McCarthy tongue in cheekly replied you know, I hope 
to see that same thing again, right? I hope someone tries to roll out against us what the Broncos did. My question is, do you believe him when he says that, that Mike McCarthy and company, right? Kellen Moore included in that will have an answer the next time they see this type of defense and they will know how to attack it. I, I tend to think so just because I don't think Dak Prescott is going to have another game like that anytime soon, which is where it started. Uh, we mentioned how I think the offensive line should be a bit better this week, just from having gotten the game under their belts in that configuration. Um, the defense is a little harder to say, but uh, they have a lot of things that they can throw up there and show them that they did wrong to work on. And I'm sure they're going to be doing a lot of extra tackling drills this week. Uh, at least I know if I was Dan Quinn, they'd be out there tackling pretty much the whole time for at least one practice. And that's less all punching drills, you mean? Yeah, less punching drills, more wrapping up and get them on the ground. Uh, get those little dummies out there that sit upright. And those things, would I, w- I would be telling them, if those things aren't broken by the end of this practice, you are going to pay for it, you know? So, uh, you know, they can't make them run laps anymore, I guess. But, you know, some, <laughs> they need to have something to do. And, what, and does Dan to Quinn, the- what does Dan Quinn need to hold the Falcons to to win his part of the revenge game? And how do you think this game will play out while we're on it, since we're to the prediction portion of the pod? I think he needs to keep them keep them down a little bit, but I think that the offense is going to have a nice big bounce back, so the final score may not really reflect how good a job the defense does. Because I think the Cowboys are going to put up about 38 points on this. And I can see the, the Falcons getting to like 23. So we'll call that 38 to 23 is going to my, be my prediction, just because I think we're going to see out of the Cowboys this week, what we thought we were going to see last week. I love it, Tom. And uh, I am going to go back to my tried and true tested strategy, my gambling strategy. When you lose big, you go even bigger. The next time around, I said the Cowboys would put up 30 against the Broncos. It was the Broncos who put up 30. Well, you know what? I'm going back to the well, Tom. Cowboys put up 35 against the Atlanta Falcons, and they win this one comfortably 21 to 35. Final score, and the Falcons get a late touchdown to kind of, you know, make themselves feel better. But otherwise, everybody's going home happy, at least in the Dallas Fort Worth area and those fans that show up to the game by, you know, like 1 p.m because that's about the time that they usually all get in their seats. So with that, sir, another Thursday in the books. You can follow him, of course, at Tom Ryle BTB. Hit me up at RW3, both on the Twitter sphere, and follow all of our friends at Blogging the Boys and all the fantastic crews, all the great pods. Download them all courtesy of our friends at SB Nation, and make sure you subscribe to all the content we got going for you because we got plenty more as the Cowboys roll into week 10 of the NFL season. For Tom, I'm Roy. We'll see you next Thursday. We out.